Well, good afternoon, everyone. The H1B guy here, and today, the H1B guy live, Eagle Act of 2023, as well as some more speculation on a third H1B lottery, and taking your questions and comments. But before we get started, I'd like to ask you, if you haven't already, to please subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and like this video so that I can continue to produce more content like this for you. I also wanted to mention the H1B Guy offers a variety of consulting services. I help businesses and individuals solve complex work authorization issues in the recruitment process while bringing awareness to employment-based immigration benefits. If I can help you, please reach out. I'd love to hear how. And you can book an appointment directly with me via the h1bguy.com. Today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. By perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. And by Mob Squad. Are you a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related challenges? Don't leave your fate up to chance. Our partner, Mob Squad, has a solution. Join the squad. Well, it's hard to believe it's been almost two months since I've done a live stream here on the H1B Guy channel on YouTube. Um, unfortunately for me, I'm just going to have to chalk it up to being extremely busy. Um, as many of you know, I work full-time and also run the H1B Guy platform. Uh, so literally, I work two full-time jobs, but enough about me and more about what's been going on. Um, really, in my world over the last couple of weeks, uh, for many of you who keep up with this channel, you may have noticed I did not post a video last week, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> duty calls. And so wanted to give you guys kind of an update as to what was going on in my world last week. And that was I had the privilege of attending the annual uh, TechServe Alliance Executive Summit that was hosted um, in Amelia Island. And also that was in conjunction with SIM, which is the Society for Information Management. Um, met a lot of great people, met some folks that I've known uh, virtually for, for several years and had the chance to put uh, names with actual faces. And some of you who watch this platform and this channel um, came up and uh, introduced yourself to me. So very grateful to have the opportunity to meet so many new friends, uh, connect with old friends and um, looking forward to uh, to what's in store for us as we go through the end of 2023 uh, and into 2024. My biggest takeaway uh, from the summit is talent shortages are going to continue into 2024, 2025, 2026 and beyond. One of the things that was a common uh, occurring theme um, is the aging population and the lack of really skilled workforce in terms of technology. And so a lot of conversations around upskilling, reskilling, and even discussions around increasing high-skilled immigration and reform around high-skilled immigration and what that's going to look like and how that's going to benefit um, the U.S. society, the U.S. innovation, U.S. technology advancements as a whole. 
Um, heard some really good presentations on AI um, and this concept of quantum engineering, which was relatively new to me. So what I will tell you is that technology is going to continue to advance and talent shortages are real. Uh, they're real here in the U.S. and they're real globally. And so this kind of pairs back to why it's so important for us to have less restrictive high-skilled immigration and make it less complex for what we currently have. And so that leads into uh, late last week or early last week, I guess I should say, um, the, the EGLE Act uh, of 2023 was introduced in a bipartisan effort by Senator Kevin Kramer and co-sponsored by Senator John Hickenlooper and Senator Susan Collins, uh, known as S3291. The purpose is, quote, to amend the Immigration and Nationality Act to eliminate per-country numerical limitation for employment-based immigrants to increase the per-country numerical limitation for family-sponsored immigrants and for other purposes. Equal access to green cards for Legal Employment Act of 2023, or commonly referred to as the Eagle Act of 2023. I will refer to this legislation as S3291 going forward because I think if we go back and um, look at when I first started covering the Eagle Act, uh, literally three and a half years ago, uh, back in the summer of, of 2020, um, you know, it, it definitely is something that we've been talking about a lot on this platform. And here we see relatively the same uh, text and legislation introduced. So I want to cover kind of what my highlights are, break it down as simply as I can for you and talk about some of the good and some of the points of contention um, that I believe we'll see as, as we move into 2024. Because um, understand, this is legislation that's being introduced in committee and most likely won't see its day in the Senate um, until it comes out of committee sometime in, in 2024. So uh, again, equal access to green cards for legal employment of 2023 really introduces key provisions aimed at reforming the allocation of immigrant visas, green cards, enhancing oversight of the H-1B visa, and as well as providing protections um, for legal childhood arrivals or what we commonly refer to here as documented dreamers. Uh, so first and foremost, the allocation of immigrant visas uh, for the first nine years after a specified date, immigrant visas under certain sections of the Immigration and Nationality Act are reserved and allocated based on a decreasing percentage system. This is really key. The allocation percentages ranged from 30% in the first fiscal year to 5% in year seven, eight, and nine uh, of those fiscal years. Uh, the second point is limits on visa allocation to single states or dependent areas. So no more than 25% for a single foreign state or 2% for a dependent state of the total reserved visas can be allocated to immigrants from the single state or dependent area. So a 25% limitation, if you will. 
but not more than 85% of immigrant visas may be allocated to immigrants from a single state or dependent area. So that total number, right? When you look at uh, the total allocation for the fiscal year, no more than 85%, so less than 85% for a, a single state. So kind of an interesting text here, and you look at, uh, while it removes some of what we'd call caps, if you will, there still is some restrictive limitations that, that are going to be put in place. The next one is what I would call the rule to prevent unused visas. Um, and this is a big one. This is commonly unused visas. We commonly refer to as spillover visas. Uh, so those are unused visas in categories, family-based or employment-based that carry over year to year. Um, so if unused visas are anticipated at the end of the third quarter of the fiscal year, the Secretary of State, uh, the Secretary of the Department of State has the authority to reallocate such visas for the remainder of the fiscal year. So that's really interesting because that'll be in the same fiscal year that if there's going to be a spillover or surplus of unused visas in, in one of the two categories, then that could be allocated in the last quarter of the fiscal year, which could potentially mean some pretty good movement in, in the monthly visa bulls and in that last quarter of each fiscal year, depending on the amount of spillover visas. This is a big one here, and these are reserved visas for shortage occupations or what we call the specialty occupations, uh, uh, that talent demand, talent gap that I was talking about earlier. Uh, and so for the first seven fiscal years, a minimum of 4,400 visas um, under Section 203B3 shall be allocated to immigrants seeking admission to work in these shortage occupations. This is really interesting when we look at um, the Healthcare Workforce Resilience Act, the S3211 that I talked about a few weeks ago. Um, again, there's some parallels here. And we look at, look, there's there's an allocation of additional 4,400 visas. Not a lot, but it is at least an increase. The Secretary of Labor is also tasked with establishing a searchable website for posting positions related to these visas. Uh, again, so it's going to have to show that there is uh, jobs posting and a lack of candidates available to fill those positions of need. So this is a really big one here, the H-1B visa program reform. There's a variety of, of sections dedicated to that. So I'm going to do my best to really break this down for you um, in as simple of terms as I can. And that is employers that are filing uh, petitions for H-1B visas must post job positions on the searchable website for at least 30 days. So the job post must be searchable, whether again, external facing or some sort of job board for at least 30 days, like my, my good friend, Richard Almond at recruiternetworks.com. Um, so this is a big one that again, it has to be publicly facing for at least 30 days. Uh, also looking to set a variety of criteria for employers that include limitations on the percentage of H-1B workers, H-1B employees, and the total workforce. We commonly have referred to this language, this text, as the 50-50 rule or 50-50 H-1B rule. And this is simply where any employer that employs 50 or more employees in the U.S. Uh, cannot have a sum, or if they do, the number of such employees who are on H-1B 
plus the number of employees on L1s does not exceed 50% of their total employees. So again, rules like this are, are really uh, focusing on a, a lot of the larger integrators that exist. Um, and many of you know who these, who these firms are. They're some of the top H-1B employers in the country. Uh, but it also is a, is a target at big tech as well, uh, as we've seen a lot of big tech employ a lot of H-1Bs and have a lot of H-1Bs on staff, as well as smaller, what we'd call uh, layers, shops, third party vendors um, that maybe have 70 employees and 60 of those are on H-1B visas. Uh, so this is a, a rule that's going to look to restrict what we call that 50-50 rule, 50%. Uh, of their employees cannot be 50% H-1B visas, okay? Um, meaning if they have 50 or more employees, 50% of those cannot be H-1B visas, as well as L L1s. They combine those two together. Um, another uh, interesting thing here, the Secretary of Treasury is authorized uh, to refund funds for program admission to the Secretary of Labor. So there's some funding involved that will be collected and redistributed uh, as part of funding for USCIS. Um, the next one is really big one. And this one's kind of sneaky because this is something that we've seen really come into play over the last couple of years. And, and that relates to the elimination of B1 in lieu of H1B. And we've seen a lot of that where H1B employees have been laid off and potentially coming up on their 60 day maximum stay, changing status to B1. This is something that we talked about many times over, even with Sophie Alcorn way back in February. Um, and that is changing status so that you could maintain your status uh, while you continue to look for work here in the U.S. And that is restrictions will be placed on aliens seeking admission for services in a specialty occupation under B1. So meaning you can't come in as a B1 and then H. Uh, what will be really interesting to see if they will allow that change of status from H1B to B1 while they look for a new opportunity um, to avoid that 60-day maximum stay. So this is some new language that I haven't previously seen, or if I have, I missed it um, and really didn't pay attention to it. But I thought this one really stood out to me, and that's the elimination of B1 in lieu of H1B. The next one is protections for whistleblowers. We've talked about this rule a lot, commonly referred to as the whistleblower rule. Uh, and that is employers that are violating regulations related to H-1B non-immigrants or prohibited from taking adverse actions against employees uh, who disclose these violations and violating employers may be held liable for lost wages and benefits. We've seen a lot of lawsuits recently, some that go all the way back to 2014, 2015. Um, so again, you know, the statute of limitations here, when we look at this whistleblower rule, will be really interesting to see how it would be enforced if it were to become law. Um, information sharing is another one. And there was a piece about uh, negative media um, for H-1Bs. But here in this H-1, uh, this information sharing, USCIS director is required to share information with the Secretary of Labor regarding employer compliance with H-1B visa programs. And a lot of this is about the audits that potentially could take place and some of those protections and oversights that would be increased uh, if the EGLE Act were to become law. Uh, next is adjustment of status protections, and this is a big one because this is what I would call protections for documented dreamers or legal childhood arrivals, and that's quite simply children of principal aliens 
filing adjustment of status applications continue to qualify as children regardless of age or the principal's alien status. And this is something that the folks at uh, Improve the Dream have been fighting for relentlessly now for several years. And that ultimately is locking in the age, right? So that there isn't an age out at age 21. And as we talked about uh, so many times here on this channel, more than 10,000 documented dreamers self-deport on a yearly basis. And that goes back to the talent gap. And so this is one of the biggest things. I'm glad to see it here included in the Eagle Act. Of course, it has its own standalone in the America's Children's Act. But here is some language that would provide protections uh, for illegal childhood arrivals or what we commonly refer to as documented dreamers. And next is employment conditions. And that is alien employment conditions must be commensurate with those of their similarly situated U.S. workers and changes in positions or employers must be in the same or similar occupational classification. Um, so again, you know, got to really be performing the same duties and it's also creating equality uh, as it relates to conditions that are provided to U.S. workers and, and vice versa, quite honestly. So look, you know, the Eagle Act, as we've seen, now in its third iteration, um, possibly even its fourth, if, if we want to get really technical, um, it aims to create some reform to our immigration system, addressing labor shortages, enhancing protections for H-1B workers and, and legal childhood arrivals, but also creating a pathway to reduce uh, and address the green card backlog as it relates to high-skilled employment-based immigration uh, and, uh, you know, these, these 15, 10 to 15-year um, wait times that we're seeing for uh, Indian nationals as well as these 5 to 10-year wait times that we're seeing for Chinese nationals. It provides really almost a first-come, first-serve, uh, and it scales that over a nine-year period. So again, comprehensive in nature, bipartisan in nature. Uh, I'd call this a balanced effort, um, but I can see where, uh, quite honestly, there will be points of contention uh, from several different factors as it relates to the Eagle Act. But reviewing it in its current form, I will say I'm very hopeful um, that we could see uh, some sort of reform here as it relates to addressing the green card backlog, providing protections and creating um, more, what I'd say, fairness for H-1B visa workers and protections for documented dreamers. Um, so that's it. That's my summary on the Eagle Act of, of 2023. Um, I know that a lot of you are advocating in support of the Eagle Act. Again, if I were to uh, shed some light on what I think a, a legitimate timeline would look like. We're probably looking at something uh, in the next seven, six, seven months before uh, I think it would have its day uh, and, and potentially be debated. But I also have to go back and think about the Healthcare Workforce Resilience Act, um, the America's Children's Act, and, and now the EGLE Act. And, and looking at um, there is a lot of text that could potentially be combined um, to create what I would call a more comprehensive uh, immigration reform plan. Um, I don't foresee that being a possibility, but I still am hopeful that we could see a larger piece of immigration reform as we move into the election year here in 2024. Um, you know, this is something that we've talked about here on this channel that I've, I've been fairly adamant that a smaller piece of immigration legislation would have a much higher probability of being passed. 
Um, but again, you know, here we are with a bipartisan piece of legislation uh, from Senator Kramer, Senator Hickenlooper, and Senator Collins. Would love to know your guys' thoughts on the Eagle Act. If you think that it will have its day on the Senate floor at some point in 2024, if you're confident, if you're advocating on it, um, what are your what are your thoughts around it? But wanted to ask you if you haven't already. Uh, please make sure uh, that you like this video and you're subscribed to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube. If you're looking for ways to support the H1B Guy platform, you can do so currently through the super chat function that's available during this live stream. Or, or if you're watching or listening to this at a later date, uh, you can do so through the super thanks feature on YouTube. As always, I appreciate all of your support and everyone who reaches out to me, asks me questions and um, engages with me across all of my social platforms. Um, I can't do this without your support and very grateful for each and every one of you. The Eagle Act has been one of the biggest questions I've been receiving over the last several weeks. And so I wanted to take some time because I hadn't had an opportunity to really sit down and put my thoughts together. But um, I did over the last couple of days and, and wanted to really get a basic summary of, of what the Eagle Act of 2023 aims to do um, and some of the legislation and the, and the text surrounding it. Another question that I'm constantly getting, as many of you know, um, back on November 10th, uh, uh, really posted on November 11th, um, I talked about uh, the possibility of a third H-1B lottery for fiscal year 2024. Um, I went on record as saying that I did believe that there will be um, potentially in the next three weeks, going back to that, that November 10th date, uh, a third lottery selection. Um, I still feel very confident, although um, last week I was concerned that the possibility of a government shutdown may impact that. Um, but with that being said, I, I, you know, I was wrong on my thoughts of a second H-1B lottery for, for last year. No second H-1B lottery for this year. Um, and so, you know, my streak of being correct on whether there will or will not be a third H-1B lottery or a second one H-1B lottery um, has, is definitely something to, to keep in mind that I've been wrong the last few times. Um, but I feel confident kind of based on the numbers that I've, I've seen um, and that I'm hearing about in terms of overall application rates. And many of you have reached out to me saying that you were selected in the second lottery, but your employer wasn't filing or missed the cutoff um, that we could see possibly towards the beginning of next week. Um, a third H-1B lottery selection that, that could be held. And the reason why I feel like that's coming up sometime in the next week is that if we look at December 1st, um, which I believe is next Friday, uh, that would give employers uh, that 60-day window would put uh, the portal to submit a full paper application uh, for a third H-1B lottery right at the end of January, which then would allow USCIS to uh, provide notification mid-February that the H-1B lottery for fiscal year um, ha has been closed and that all H-1B visas uh, that were allotted, the 85,000 plus, um, would have been assigned uh, by the end of January, potentially the very beginning of, of February. And again, if we go back and look at 
some of the historical dates that have surrounded the H-1B lottery over the last uh, three to four years. We look at March 1st through potentially the next <coughs> three weeks. So March 1st through potentially March 21st, March 22nd. Um, as possibilities for uh, the electronic portal opening up for the H-1B lottery for fiscal year 2025. Um, many of the folks that I've talked to over the last several weeks, and as we talked about uh, the increase in the $200 H-1B uh, electronic registration fee, uh, many of you feel like it may have some impact on the number of uh, registrations that USCIS will receive, but a lot of you feel like that number is still going to be extremely significant. Uh, the other thing that we've been looking at is is the duplication, right? And what is that impact going to look like with that? The latest executive order that was put out, which is still in comment uh, phase. Um, so, you know, I, I, again, I, I think if, if you're looking for me to provide um, a guess, it's really what it is, an opinion, um, I'm still fairly confident that we will see a third lottery selection. Many of you have asked me like, hey, when's this going to happen? And my answer is I don't know. But if we're looking at timelines and when it would need to occur, we're probably looking at the 27th or 28th as a viable date. Uh, but again, that's still unknown because December 1st through the end of January, January 31st would be that 90 days, if you will, that employers would have, excuse me, 60 days that employers would have to provide um, a full paper uh, application. But of course, you know, you've got to take this, <laughs> this with a grain of salt, and that has been wrong over the last couple of years, right? Um, I felt like there was going to be a second lottery last year, and there wasn't. Um, I felt like there wasn't going to be a second lottery this year, and clearly there was with very low application rates. And again, from what I'm hearing, the application rates for the second round have, have been lower than expected as well, which again leads me to believe that there will be a third lottery at some point, uh, possibly over the next week or so, potentially by next Wednesday, if not the 27th or, or 28th. Um, would ask those of you who are eagerly anticipating this, if you do hear something from your immigration attorney, your employer, please let me know. I'd love to find out. Um, I do have contacts and sources that I work with very closely, but if you know or you're one of the ones that, that potentially could be selected in the third lottery, I'd love to know this so that we can get that information out to um, to everyone who, uh, who supports this platform and who's taken the time to, to jump in here today. So again, a uh, quick recap on the Eagle Act of, of 2023, uh, more speculation on the possibility of a third H-1B lottery. Uh, as many of you have been asking, hey, when's it going to happen? And kind of based on the time frame and looking at the calendar, um, wanted to provide you all with an update on my thoughts around that. So let's jump into some Q&A possibly here over the next uh, several minutes. Um, I would love to uh, to take some time to answer some of your questions. I did have some questions that uh, some came that came in. Um, I posted on Twitter yesterday, and and one of the things on Twitter um, that that I was asked to mention, and I will, is um, advocating for the Eagle Act of two thousand and twenty three. And what can you do? 
Well, ultimately, you can do more than just tweet about it, right? You can call your um, your representative, and you can call your 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 senator. You don't have to be uh, a voter as long as you live in the district of the constituency. Uh, reach out to their staff and express your support to your senator um, over uh, the S thirty two ninety one. Uh, make your voice heard loud and clear, and that's the best way to go about it. Send them an email. There's several templates out there uh, if you're looking for those that you can advocate on your behalf. But if you sit in silence or you just sit behind Twitter, uh, unfortunately, that's not going to accomplish the goal. The power is in numbers and the power is in your voice. So I wanted to mention that. Um, I also let's just go ahead and bring up these comments. So if any of you have questions or comments, Go ahead and post them in here, and I will do my best to get to them. Jim says, all U.S. companies and government office shut down Thursday and Friday. Don't expect uh, any movement this week at all. If you're coming to the U.S., please be aware Thanksgiving is a major holiday. Yeah, that's correct. I will say, though, um, I believe the market's open on Friday. Um, so... While most organizations are closed, uh, there there is uh, public trading going on in in, in terms of the market. Uh, but yeah, this is this is a viable point, and this is why I say, look, there's a possibility. Um, we've seen uh, uh, USCIS hold selections on Saturdays previously, uh, but that's why I feel like we're probably looking at something that would be. Uh, closer to Monday or Tuesday of next week. If it's going to happen, I believe that would be the time frame that we'd see it happen sometime um, really in the first three days of, of next week. And as it goes into December, the odds diminish. They just do because of the timeline of giving employers 60 days to submit a paper application and that working into the end of January, beginning of February, and then historically knowing that 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 USCIS wants to hold um, the electronic registration in an open period starting in, in the beginning of March. Um, so great point, Jim. Thank you. And happy Thanksgiving Eve to you and happy Thanksgiving, Jim. Hope you have a, uh, a great day off tomorrow and join time with your, your family. Hey, Andres, uh, definitely got your question. Um, responded back to you, I think, on pay Facebook. Uh, talk about RFE during the H-1B process. So this is a great question, and it's one that I get a lot. And ultimately, um, we've seen a lot of RFEs in my past, <coughs> a lot for, excuse me, a variety of reasons. But ultimately, when your H-1B is selected for RFE, my experience is it's generally uh, one of a handful, three to five reasons. Um, a lot of it comes down to the job responsibilities and requirements, meaning the type of degree that you may have or the type of degree that could be required for the position. So that's a really big one. Another one comes back to your employer's ability to pay. And this is really interesting, too, where a lot of times your employers have to provide financial records um, and potentially have those financial records notarized. Um, the second is goes back to the, the demand for the position and if there's been any recruitment involved around it or their inability to find a U.S. worker of a same or similar skill set. Um, 
But if you're selected for RFE, my best advice to you is to work very closely with your employer or your immigration attorney and ask them if they can provide you with a copy of the RFE. I've seen this really be 50-50 in terms of employers that are willing to provide this document. And a lot of times what that allows you to do as the individual is to work with your employer or work with their immigration attorney to get the appropriate evidence. And that's really the key. Um, I tend to uh, refer to RFEs in in many cases as a delay tactic or a stall tactic from USCIS. And what that basically means is that um, that particular officer is going to select a certain percentage of cases for RFE in that day. So if they have 20 cases that they're resolving and they're going to select two or three for RFE, it could just be lack of probability. But many times there is a lack of some sort of evidence that your employer or your immigration attorney didn't provide. But my best advice to you here in, in this situation, Andres, uh, is to work very closely with your employer and the immigration attorney um, to identify what the RFE looks like and ultimately understand uh, what kind of evidence that, that you would need to provide. All right. So Hamanchu is asking, can a third lottery happen this Friday since the holiday? And my answer is most likely not. As I alluded to earlier, um, Saturday could be a probability. But again, you're looking at a lot of individuals that could be out on vacation or potentially off. Um, The best advice that I can give you here uh, is going back to what I said earlier. And ultimately, I believe if it is going to happen, we're probably looking at sometime Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday of next week, which would allow USCIS to provide notifications to legal legal representatives as well as representatives of employers, um, then you would be notified. And from there, it would give them December 1st through potentially the very end of January uh, to submit that full paper application. Uh, But great question, Hamachu. Keep me posted if you're somebody who's waiting to hear uh, if you were selected or if you were not in the third H-1B lottery holding out a very small sliver of hope. Um, would love to know if, if you, uh, if you hear anything before, um, I'm made aware. Thanks uh, for your question and thanks for taking the time to, uh, to tune in today. I really appreciate your support. Hey, Swapan, how are you? Um, is there any provision in the bill for already aged out kids who are already here for decades? Unfortunately, the way I read the text Um, is that it only is addressing um, the children of principal aliens that are filing an adjustment of status application to continue to qualify as children regardless of age. And it doesn't address those that are already have aged out or will age out. Um, And that's a a great catch and and an unfortunate piece. Uh, But hopefully as we look at, you know, legislation, um, as I mentioned, the America's Children's Act, um, you know, it does address those kids who have already aged out. And I I think that's where, you know, as we start to see a lot of these uh, sort of smaller pieces of immigration reform, as I alluded to, the America's Children's Act, uh, the Healthcare Workforce Resilience Act, and now the EGLE Act. We have kind of three separate standalone immigration bills that are currently in the Judiciary Committee. Uh, so what I'd really like to see is, is some sort of effort 
or uh, combination that would create a piece of comprehensive immigration reform that can really be a huge feather in the Biden administration's cap in an election year. As we move into 2024, um, I really would like to see them because if we go all the way back, literally go all the way back to uh, February of, of 2021, um, even before that, November, uh, December, January, uh, December of 2020, but January of 2021, day one, a day one piece of legislation um, that was from <laughs> now the, uh, uh, the accused Senator Melendez, uh, but there was a day one piece of immigration uh, that was labeled as a significant comprehensive immigration reform that was day one, day one from the Biden administration. And from them, we've seen nothing. And as I warned many of you that were excited about the Biden administration coming in and what that would mean for immigration reform as a whole, is that really the Obama administration wasn't very good for immigration reform other than the executive order for the EAD. Um, and some of the executive orders that they had that surrounded uh, OPTs and OPT stems, um, as many of you know, and as we've talked about, uh, the Trump administration was horrible as it related to H-1B approvals, H-1B extensions and amendments. Um, some of the lowest percentages of approvals that we've had, whereas look, that's one of the things that we have seen that has been better with the Biden administration is approval ratings are, are significantly higher um, as it relates to H-1B applications, uh, extensions and amendments. But, you know, ultimately, this is a big thing, Swapan, that I've, I've talked about a lot. And, and that is um, kids that identify as Americans that have been here most of their adolescent and, and childhood um, that are U.S. educated, advanced U U.S. higher degree educated, meaning college degrees or higher um, that then ultimately have to go back into what I'd call the funnel, the H-1B pipeline, right? If they're on an OPT um, or they're on an OPT STEM, they've got to get an H-1B in order to maintain their status. If they've aged out and that adjustment of status um, that, they, that, 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 that hasn't been filed on their behalf, right? Um, so this is a really big way that we could reduce some of the talent gaps that we currently have, those talent shortages. Um, ultimately is address protections for documented dreamers, legal childhood arrivals, as well as create a pathway for those international students who come here um, on an F1 that get a U.S. bachelor's or a U.S. master's that then are working full time for a U.S. employer, provide them a pathway to an H-1B visa that would be outside of the H-1B lottery. But great question, Swapan, and I hope that that helps. Uh, Andres, you're quite welcome. I hope that helped answer your question. Ashwini asks, any news about H-1B third lottery? Eagerly awaiting for it. Yeah, as, as I mentioned earlier, no news yet. Um, I was really concerned last week uh, that looming government shutdown may have an impact, but from everything that... Uh, um, you know, was approved from a budget perspective last week. Uh, I feel pretty confident, as I've said, 
um, that if a third H-1B lottery is going to happen, it will happen potentially sometime next Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. If it doesn't happen uh, over that 72-hour period at the beginning of next week, um, the possibility of it happening, I think, as, as we move into December continues to diminish, unfortunately. But again, from my sources and everything that I'm hearing, the application rates for the second selection have been lower than they even previously anticipated, even though they selected something like 77,000, excuse me, additional registrations. Um, you know, I, I think that's that's a very telling sign of we've got to address the way the electronic registration is currently working and what that's going to look like going forward. Um, so look, I've got a couple of more minutes. If you have any other questions, please post those here in the chat. Um, I just wanted to remind everyone uh, that, um, you know, over the next month or so, really working on trying to do a few more of these live streams, having a few more special guests on, highlighting a few more folks that I've met that are doing some really cool things in terms of education and advisory for uh, immigrants looking to come to the U.S., um, so please be on the lookout for that as we head into the end of 2023. It's really hard to believe that uh, that Thanksgiving will be here tomorrow, uh, and ultimately, um, you know, Christmas will be here uh, here in the U.S. Uh, in, in a month. Um, this year has absolutely flown by for me, and I just can't thank all of you um, and, and for your support. Uh, for those of you who reached out, I've had the opportunity to interact and meet so many cool people from all over the world. And that's the beauty of what this platform is. And just really grateful uh, for all of your support and, and everyone who takes the time to comment, like, subscribe, all of the things here that, that uh, I constantly ask you for. And I just really, really appreciate all of your support. I also wanted to take a minute and just thank our sponsors, my friend Mark Pavlavopoulos at Syndesis. Uh, my friend Carl Ballsmeyer at perm-ads.com and RF Kamani and Jamie Ribior at uh, Mob Squad for their continued support through all of 2023. Very grateful to have them as sponsors. And if you haven't checked out what they do, please, I'd ask you to click those links in the video description um, and, and, and go and, and find out more about what Synthesis does, more about perm-ads, more about Mob Squad. Um, they've been uh, faithful partners and very grateful to have them um, as part of this platform here. So uh, since I don't see any other questions, I just wanted to take uh, one last minute and, and really say thank you again. Uh, very thankful for the opportunity to have this voice and, um, you know, this space to provide opinions. Uh, as it relates to high school immigration here in the U.S., I hope you find this content valuable. If you do, again, ask you to please like and subscribe. Um, leave me a comment. Let me know what you think. Uh, definitely know you'll let me know when I'm wrong, but if I'm right, would love to hear that, that uh, you appreciate it. Uh, let's see. One last question here. I will answer that, and then we will sign off. Uh, how long does USCIS Susie give you to provide with the extra documents for RFE? Your employer filed using premium processing. 60 to 90 days is pretty typical. Some are 60, some are 90. Um, and a lot of times we see them sort of interchange, but traditionally it's a 60-day response. Um, very similar to when we see administrative processing or what's referred to commonly as 221Gs. Those generally are 60 to 90 days as well. Uh, but I would say 60 days would be typically the window 
um, that your employer would have to respond. And again, I'd advise you here, Andres, if you haven't, I would ask them for a copy of the RFE so that you can review it on your own behalf and see if there's anything that you could help provide that may be able to, um, to speed the process up. The good news though, is that since you have filed it in premium processing, once they submit the response, USCIS will need to adjudicate your case under that premium processing window. So great question there, and, and I hope that is helpful to you. Well, I want to just thank everyone, uh, Jim, um, Andres, Hamanshu, Swapan, uh, Ashwini, and uh, really appreciate your questions and comments and, and taking time to, uh, to drop those here in the chat today. Um, but with that being said, we're going to go ahead and sign off here today and remind everyone that today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis Empath to Canada the ideal plan B for high school immigrants currently located in the U.S. Um, if your status is uncertain, if you're facing an H-1B denial or an OPT expiration, don't get caught off guard. Make sure you have a plan B and Sedesis and Path to Canada are your answers. They'll gladly help you navigate the process. And if you'd like to find out if you qualify, please be sure to use the link in the video description below and someone from Sedesis or Path to Canada will be in touch. By perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. If you're looking to reduce your costs and overhead associated with perm labor certification wow. recruitment advertising, let perm-ads.com help you. And by Mob Squad, are you a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related challenges? Don't leave your fate up to chance. Our partner, Mob Squad, has a solution. Mob Squad helps technology professionals facing U.S. work visa-related uncertainty remain working with their current U.S. employer near shore from Canada, as well as technology professionals from around the world who are seeking to find a rewarding opportunity in North America. Through their partnership with the Canadian government, they can obtain a Canadian work permit for you and your spouse in as little as four to six weeks. So whether you're looking to stay working with your current U.S. employer or you want to find a new opportunity in Canada, please find out how the team at Mob Squad can help you via the link in the video description below. Join the squad. I want to ask you one last time to please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, and click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we post new content here to this channel. If you've made it this far, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to watch my live stream. I really appreciate your support. From my family to yours, we'd like to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the time off with your family and your friends. We have a lot to be thankful for as we close out the end of 2023. Follow me on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, check out the h1bguy.com if you haven't had a chance to do so in a while. would love to, to have you go check the backlog of articles and content that we have posted on the h1bguy.com. I'm Robert. I'm the H1B Guy, your global source for all things H1B.